0: Chapter 5, Part 1 of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume 3. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Celine Major. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume 3 by Eugène Sue. Chapter 5, Part 1 The Clients. The reader may have forgotten the portrait of the stepmother of Madame d'Arville as drawn by the latter. Let us then repeat that madame d'orbigny was a slight fair delicate woman with eyelashes almost white round and palish blue eyes with a soft voice a hypocritical air insidious and insinuating manners any one who studied her treacherous and perfidious countenance would detect therein craft and cruelty what a delightful young man m de saint-remy is said madame d'orbigny to jacques ferrand when the viscount had left them delightful but madame let us now proceed to our business you wrote to me from normandy that you desired to consult me upon most serious matters have you not always been my adviser ever since the worthy doctor polidori introduced me to you by the way have you heard from him recently inquired madame d'orbigny with an air of complete carelessness since he left paris he has not written me a single line replied the notary with an air of similar indifference let the reader understand that these two persons lied most unequivocally to each other the notary had seen polidori one of his two accomplices recently and had proposed to him to go to asnires to the Martial, the fresh-water pirates of whom we shall presently speak had proposed to him we say to poison louise morel under the name of dr vincent madame d'harville's stepmother on her side had come to paris in order to have a secret meeting with this scoundrel who had been for a long time concealed, and as we have said, under the name of Cesar Bradamanti. But it is not the good doctor of whom we have to discourse, continued Madame d'Arville's stepmother. You see me very uneasy, my husband is indisposed, his health becomes weaker and weaker every day. Without experiencing serious alarm, his condition gives me much concern, or rather gives him much concern. Said Madame d'Orbigny, drying her eyes, which were slightly moistened. What is the business, Madame? He is constantly talking of making his last arrangements, of his will. Here, Madame d'Orbigny concealed her face in her pocket handkerchief for some minutes. It is very afflicting, no doubt, said the notary, but the precaution has nothing terrible in itself. And what may be Monsieur d'Orbigny's intentions, Madame? Dear sir, how do I know? you may suppose that when he commences a subject i do not allow him to dwell on it long well then he has not up to this time told you anything positive i think replied madame d'orbigny with a deep sigh uh, i think he wishes to leave me not only all that the law will allow him to bequeath me but but really i pray of you do not let us talk of that of what then shall we talk alas you are right pitiless man i must in spite of myself return to the sad subject that brings me here to see you well then m d'orbigny's inclination extends so far that he desires to sell a part of his estate and present me with a large sum but his daughter his daughter exclaimed m ferrand harshly i must tell you that during the last year m d'harville has placed his affairs in my hands and i have lately purchased a splendid estate for him you know my blunt way of doing business whether m d'harville is my client or not is no matter i stand up only for justice if your husband makes up his mind to behave to his daughter in a way that i do not approve i tell you plainly he must not reckon all my assistance. upright and downright such has always been my line of conduct and mine also therefore it is that i am always saying to my husband what you now say to me your daughter has behaved very ill to you that is but too true but that is no reason why you should disinherit her very good quite right and what answer does he make to that he replies i shall leave my daughter twenty five thousand francs of annual income one thousand livres she had more than a million forty thousand livres from her mother her husband has an enormous fortune of his own and therefore why should i not leave you the residue of my fortune you my tender love the sole support the only comfort of my declining years my guardian angel i repeat these very flattering words to you said madame d'orbigny with an air of modesty to prove to you how kind m d'orbigny is to me but in spite of that i have always refused his offers and as he perceives that he has compelled me to come and seek you but i do not know m d'orbigny but he like all the world knows your high character but why should he send you to me to put an end to all my scruples and refusals he said to me i will not ask you to consult my notary because you will think him too much devoted to my service but i will trust myself entirely to the decision of a man of whose extreme probity of character i have heard you so frequently speak in praise m jacques Ferrand. if he considers your delicacy compromised by your consent to my wishes we will not say another word on the subject otherwise you must comply without a word i consent i replied to m d'orbigny and so now you are the arbitrator between us if m ferrand approves added my husband i will send him ample power to realize in my name my rents and investments and he shall keep the proceeds in his hands as a deposit and thus after my decease my tender love you will at least have an existence worthy of you perhaps m ferrand never had greater need of his spectacles than at this moment for had he not worn them madame d'orbigny would doubtless have been struck with the sparkle of the notary's eyes which seemed to dart fire when the word deposit was pronounced however he replied in his usual coarse way it is very tiresome this is the tenth or twelfth time that i have been made the arbitrator in a similar matter always under the pretense of my honesty that is the only word in people's mouths my honesty my honesty what a fine quality forsooth which only brings me in a great deal of tiresome trouble my good Monsieur ferrand come do not repulse me you will write at once to Monsieur d'orbigny who only awaits your letter to send you full powers to act for him and to realise the sum required which amounts to how much why i think he said four or five hundred thousand francs sixteen thousand or twenty thousand livres a sum after all is not so much as i thought you are devoted to m d'orbigny his daughter is very rich you have nothing that is not just and i really think you should accept it really do you think so indeed said madame d'orbigny who was the dupe like the rest of the world of the proverbial probity of the notary and who had not been enlightened by polidori in this particular you may accept he repeated i will accept then said madame d'orbigny with a sigh the chief clerk knocked at the door who is there inquired m ferrand madame the countess macgregor request her to wait a moment i will go then my dear m ferrand said madame d'orbigny you will write to my husband since he wishes it and he will send you the requisite authority by return of post i will write adieu my worthy and excellent counsellor ah you do not know you people of the world how disagreeable it is to take charge of such deposits the responsibility which we then assume i tell you that there is nothing more detestable in the world than this fine character for probity which brings down upon one all these turmoils and troubles and the admiration of all good people thank heaven i place otherwise than here below the hopes of the reward at which i aim said m ferrand in a hypocritical tone to madame d'orbigny succeeded sarah macgregor sarah entered the cabinet of the notary with her usual coolness and assurance jacques ferrand did not know her nor the motives of her visit and he therefore scrutinized her carefully in the hope of catching another dupe he looked most attentively at the countess and despite the imperturbability of this marble-fronted woman he observed a slight working of the eyebrows which betrayed a repressed embarrassment the notary rose from his seat handed a chair and motioning to sarah to sit down thus accosted her you have requested of me madame an interview for to-day i was very much engaged yesterday and could not reply until this morning i beg you will accept my apology for the delay i was desirous of seeing you sir on a matter of the greatest importance your reputation for honesty kindness and complaisance has made me hope that the step i have taken with you will be successful the notary bent forward slightly in his chair i know sir that your discretion is perfect it is my duty madame you are sir a man of rigid moral and incorruptible character yes madame yet sir if you were told that it depended on you to restore life more than life reason to an unhappy mother should you have the courage to refuse her if you will state the circumstances madame i shall be better able to reply it is fourteen years since at the end of the month of december eighteen twenty four a man in the prime of life and dressed in deep mourning came to ask you to take away by way of life annuity the sum of a hundred and fifty thousand francs six thousand livres which it was desired should be sunk in favour of a child of three years of age, whose parents were desirous of remaining unknown. Well, madame, said the notary, careful not to reply in the affirmative. You assented, and took charge of this sum, agreeing to insure the child a yearly pension of eight thousand francs, three hundred twenty Livres. Half this income was to accumulate for the child's benefit until of age, the other half was to be paid by you to the person who took care of this little girl. "'Well, madame?' "'At the end of two years,' said Sarah, unable to repress a slight emotion, on the 28th of November, 1827, the child died. "'Before we proceed any farther, madame, with this conversation, I must know what interest you take in this matter.' "'The mother of this little girl, sir, was—my sister.' Note 2 I have here proofs of what I advance. The declaration of the poor child's death, the letters of the person who took charge of her, and the acknowledgment of one of your clients with whom you have placed the hundred and fifty thousand francs. Note 2. It is, perhaps, unnecessary to remind the reader that the child in question is Fleur de Marie, daughter of Rodolphe and Sarah, and that the latter, in speaking of a pretended sister, tells a falsehood necessary for her plans as will be seen. Sarah was convinced, as was Rodolphe also, of the death of the little girl allow me to see those papers madame somewhat astonished at not being believed on her word sarah drew from a pocket-book several papers which the notary examined with great attention well madame what do you desire the declaration of decease is perfectly in order the hundred and fifty thousand francs came to my client m petitjean on the death of the child it is one of the chances of life annuities as i remarked to the person who placed the affair in my hands as to the pension it was duly paid by me up to the time of the child's decease i am ready to declare sir that nothing could be more satisfactory than your conduct throughout the whole of the affair the female who had charge of the child is also entitled to our gratitude for she took the greatest care of my poor little niece true madame and i was so much satisfied with her conduct that seeing her out of place after the death of the child i took her into my employment and since that time she has remained with me. Is Madame Serafin in your service, sir? She has been my housekeeper these fourteen years, and I must ever speak in her praise. Since that is the case, sir, she may be of the greatest use to us, if you will kindly grant me a request, which may appear strange, perhaps even culpable at first sight, but when you know the motive— A culpable request, madame, is what I cannot believe you capable of addressing to me sir i am acquainted with the rectitude of your principles but all my hope my only hope is in your pity under any event i may rely on your discretion madame you may well then i will proceed the death of this poor child was so great a shock to her mother that her grief is as great now as it was fourteen years since and having then feared for her life we are now in dread for her reason poor mother said m ferrand in a tone of sympathy oh yes poor unhappy mother indeed sir for she could only blush at the birth of her child at the time when she lost it whilst now circumstances are such that if the child were still alive my sister could render her legitimate be proud of her and never again allow her to quit her thus this incessant regret coming to add to her other sorrows we are afraid every hour lest she should be bereft of her senses it is unfortunate that nothing can be done in the matter yes sir what madame suppose some one told the poor mother your child was reported to be dead but she did not die the woman who had charge of her when she was little could vouch for this such a falsehood madame would be cruel why give so vain a hope to the poor mother but supposing it were not a falsehood sir or rather if the supposition could be realised by a miracle if it only required my prayers to be united with your own to obtain this result i would give them to you from the bottom of my heart believe me madame unfortunately the register of decease is strictly regular oh yes sir i know well enough that the child is dead and yet if you will agree that misfortune need not be irreparable is this some riddle madame i will speak more clearly if my sister were to-morrow to recover her daughter she would be certain not only to be restored to health but to be wedded to the father of her child who is now as free as herself my niece died at six years old separated from her parents from a very tender age they have not the slightest recollection of her suppose a young girl of seventeen was produced my niece would be about that age a young girl such as there are many forsaken by her parents and it was said to my sister Here's your daughter, for you have been imposed upon-important interests have required that she should have been said to be dead." "The female who brought her up and a respectable notary will confirm these facts, and prove to you that it is really she." Jacques Ferrand, after having allowed the Countess to speak on without interruption, rose abruptly, and exclaimed, with an indignant air, "Madame, this is infamous!" "Sir!" "To dare to propose such a thing to me! to me a supposititious child the destruction of a registry of decease a criminal act indeed it is the first time in my life that i was ever subjected to so outrageous a proposal a proposal i have not merited and you know it but sir what wrong does this do to any one my sister and the individual she desires to marry are widow and widower and childless both bitterly lamenting the child they have lost to deceive them is to restore them to happiness to life is to ensure a happy destiny to some poor forsaken girl and it becomes therefore a noble a generous action and not a crime really madame i marvel to see how the most execrable projects may be coloured so as to pass for beautiful pictures but sir reflect i repeat to you madame that it is infamous and it is shameful to see a lady of your rank lend herself to such abominable machinations to which i trust your sister is a stranger sir enough madame enough i am not a polished gentleman i am not and i shall speak my mind bluntly sarah gave the notary a piercing look with her jet-black eyes and said coldly you refuse i pray madame that you will not again insult me beware what threats threats and that you may learn they are not vain ones learn first that i have no sister what madame i am the mother of this child you i-i made a circuitous route to reach my end coined a tale to excite your interest but you are pitiless i raise the mask you are for war well war be it then War! Because I refuse to associate myself with you in a criminal machination! What audacity! Listen to me, sir. Your reputation as an honest man is established, acknowledged, undisputed. Because deserved, and therefore you must have lost your reason to make such a proposal as you have done, and then threaten me because I will not accede to it. I know, sir, better than any one, how much reputations for immaculate virtue are to be distrusted they often mask wantonness in women and roguery in men madame ever since our conversation began i do not know why but i have mistrusted your claim to the esteem and consideration which you enjoy really madame your mistrust does honour to your penetration does it not for this mistrust is based on mere nothings on instinct on inexplicable presentiments but these intimations have rarely beguiled me madame let us terminate this conversation first learn my determination i begin by telling you that i am convinced of the death of my poor daughter but no matter i shall pretend that she is not dead the most unlikely things do happen you are at this moment in a position of which very many must be envious and would be delighted at any weapon with which to assail you i will supply one you i by attacking you under some absurd pretext, some irregularity in the declaration of death. Say, no matter what, I will insist that my child is not dead. As I have the greatest interest in making it believed that she is still alive, though lost, this action will be useful to me in giving a wide circulation to the affair. A mother who claims her child is always interesting, and I should have with me those who envy you, your enemies, and every sensitive and romantic mind. This is as mad as it is malevolent. What motive could I have in making your daughter pass for dead, if she were not really defunct? That is true enough, and the motive may be difficult to find, but then have we not the attorneys and barristers at our elbows? Now I think of it-excellent idea! Desirous of sharing with your client the sum sunk in the annuity on this unfortunate child, you caused her disappearance. The unabashed notary shrugged his shoulders. If I had been criminal enough for that, instead of causing its disappearance, I should have killed it! Sarah started with surprise, remained silent for a moment, and then said, with bitterness: For a pious man this is an idea of crime deeply reflective. Can I, by chance, then, have hit the mark when I fired at random? I must think of this, and think I will. One other word: you see the sort of woman I am i crush without remorse all obstacles that lie in my onward path reflect well then for to-morrow this must be decided on you may do what i ask you with impunity in his joy the father of my daughter will not think of doubting the possibility of his child's restoration if our falsehoods which will make him happy are adroitly combined besides he has no other proofs of the death of our daughter than those i wrote to him of fourteen years ago and i could easily persuade him that i had deceived him on this subject for then i had real causes of complaint against him i will tell him that in my grief i was desirous of breaking every existing tie that bound us to each other you cannot therefore be compromised in any way affirm only irreproachable man affirm that all was in former days concerted between us you and me and madame sraphin and you will be credited as to the fifteen thousand francs sunk in an annuity for my child that is my affair solely they will remain acquired by your client who must be kept profoundly ignorant of this and moreover you shall yourself name your own recompense jacques ferrand maintained all his sang-froid in spite of the singularity of his situation remarkable and dangerous as it was the countess really believing in the death of her daughter had proposed to the notary to pass off the dead child as living whom living he had declared to have died fourteen years before he was too clever and too well acquainted with the perils of his position not to understand the effect of all sarah's threats his reputation although admirably and laboriously built up was based on a substructure of sand the public detaches itself as easily as it becomes infatuated Liking to have the right to trample under foot him whom but just now it elevated to the skies. How could the consequences of the first assault on the reputation of Jacques Ferrand be foreseen? However, absurd the attack might be, its very boldness might give rise to suspicions. Wishing to gain time to determine on the mode by which he would seek to parry the dangerous blow, the notary said frigidly to Sarah, You have given me madame until to-morrow at noon i give you until the next day to renounce a plot whose serious nature you do not seem to have contemplated if between this and then i do not receive from you a letter informing me that you have abandoned this criminal and crazy enterprise you will learn to your cost that justice knows how to protect honest people who refuse guilty associations and what may happen to the concoctors of hateful machinations you mean to say sir that you ask from me one more day to reflect on my proposals that is a good sign and i grant the delay the day after to-morrow at this hour i will come here again and it shall be between us peace or war i repeat it, but a war to the knife without mercy or pity and sarah left the room all goes well she said this miserable girl in whom rodolph capriciously takes so much interest and has sent to the farm at bouqueval in order no doubt to make her his mistress hereafter is no longer to be feared thanks to the one-eyed woman who has freed me from her rodolph's adroitness has saved madame d'harville from the snare into which i meant she should fall but it is impossible that she can escape from the fresh plot i have laid for her and thus she must be for ever lost to rodolph thus saddened discouraged isolated from all affection will he not be in a frame of mind such as will best suit my purpose of making him the dupe of a falsehood to which by the notary's aid I can give every impress of truth. And the notary will aid me, for I have frightened him. I shall easily find a young orphan girl, interesting and poor, who, taught her lesson by me, will fill the character of our child so bitterly mourned by Rodolph. I know the expansiveness, the generosity of his heart. Yes, to give a name, a rank to her whom he will believe to be his daughter, till now forsaken and abandoned, he will renew those bonds between us which I believed indissoluble the predictions of my nurse will be at length realised and i shall thus and then attain the constant aim of my life-a crown End of chapter five part one read by celine